Genesis chapter 29. And we're going to pick up in the middle of the chapter. And I'll give you a little backstory while you find your place there. Uh, Jacob, the son of Isaac, has been sent back to the land of his fathers uh, to find a bride, to find a wife. And he comes back and he uh, goes by a well. You'd be amazed how many things happen in the Bible by a well. Amen. And, uh, you know, the well, Christ said this, that uh, if we drink of the water that he'd give us, it'd be a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The Bible says that living water is the Holy Ghost. Amen. You walk uh, with the Holy Ghost, you'll be amazed what happens. All kinds of things happen by that well side. And when he comes, he sees a young girl there, and uh, her name is Rachel. And immediately he is smitten in his heart. He falls in love with her. He goes back to uh, her home and speaks to her father Laban and uh, makes an accord with Laban that he will serve and labor for seven years in order to purchase the hand of Rachel. And uh, we pick up in verse number 20. The Bible says, Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed unto him but a few days for the love he had to her. Jacob said unto Laban, Give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled, that I may go in unto her. Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. And it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah, his daughter. Rachel had a sister by the name of Leah, and brought her to him, and he went in unto her. Laban gave unto his daughter Leah Zilpah, his maid, for an handmaid. And it came to pass that in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, What is this thou hast done unto me? Did not I serve thee for Rachel? Wherefore then didst hast thou beguiled me? And Laban said, It must not be so done in our country to give the younger, who was Rachel, before the firstborn, Leah. Fulfill her week, and we will give thee this also for the service, which thou shalt serve me with yet seven other years. So Jacob says, finish out this week of celebrations for Leah, and uh, then we'll let Rachel be your wife also, and you'll serve another seven years. And Jacob did so and fulfilled her week, and he gave him Rachel, his daughter, to wife also. And Laban gave to Rachel his daughter Bilhah, his handmaid, to be her maid. And he went in also unto Rachel, and he loved also Rachel more than Leah, and served with him yet seven other years. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bare a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, Surely the Lord hath looked upon my affliction. Now therefore my husband will love me. And she conceived again and bare a son, and said, Because the Lord hath heard that I was hated, he hath therefore given me this son also, and she called his name Simeon. She conceived again and bare a son and said, Now this time will my husband be joined unto me, because I have borne him three sons. Therefore his name was, was his name called Levi. Now I want you to notice especially verse 35. The Bible says, And she conceived again and bare a son, and she said, Now will I praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah, and left bearing. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you for this time you've given us. I pray that you would give unction and power to the preaching of your word. Lord, I in and of myself do not have any power. I and of myself do not have any wisdom or wherewithal. Lord, I, I, I don't know. I'm like Solomon. I don't know how to go out or come in. But Father, you have an abundance of power and wisdom and strength. And Lord, I just pray that your word would be blessed this morning and that your people would hear and heed the truth of it. Father, we love you. We ask these things in Christ's name. 
Amen. Now, the majority of what we read here dealt with the interaction between Rachel and Laban and Jacob. Jacob loves Rachel. Rachel is the bride of his choice. And Laban deceives Jacob into marrying Leah. And uh, the Bible tells us that uh, as a result of this, the relationship between Leah and Jacob, can we say, was stressed to say the least. You can imagine what that must have been like when he woke up after that first wedding night, looked over, and saw it was not the girl that he thought he was marrying. Amen? Uh, most uh, spouses don't do that until 20 years in. Somebody say amen to that. But he wakes up, he realizes who she is, he goes to Laban, he says, you've deceived me, you've fooled me, this isn't right. And so Laban says, well, I'll tell you what, just don't make a fuss, let us finish this week of festivities for Leah, she deserves a wedding just like Rachel does, and then we'll let you go ahead and marry Rachel, and on credit you can work for seven years to pay off that debt to me. And uh, the Bible says that as a result of this, there was an animosity, a bitterness, a resentment on the part of Jacob towards Leah, his wife. Now, I don't want to preach this morning on Jacob or Rachel or Laban, but I want to take a few moments and preach on Leah in the Word of God. Because something very fascinating takes place in her spiritual development here. You know, names in the Word of God meant something. You were named something for a reason. Many of you may not know what your name means. I remember looking up one time in a baby book, and the name Toby is derived from Tobijah, which, by the way, is a Bible character who's not a good dude. Somebody say amen to that. And uh, But the name means Jehovah is good. And all through the Word of God, you'll find that names had significance. Uh, For instance, Isaac was named Isaac. It means laughter. And the reason he was named that was because when uh, Sarah heard that she was going to have a son, she laughed. She chuckled within herself. And then God took that laughter of doubt and turned it into a laughter of joy when she actually had Isaac to be her son. Jacob, of course, means supplanter or deceiver. And all through Jacob's life, you'll find he carried his name well. He surely was a deceiver, a supplanter. In fact, most people would acknowledge that right here, he's just reaping what he sowed when he deceived his father Isaac and deceived Esau and uh, stole the blessing from Esau. And it reminds me, hey, there ain't no such thing as karma, but there is the biblical law of sowing and reaping. And when we sow to the flesh, we'll of the flesh reap corruption. And so names had significance. And in this passage in particular, the four children that Leah has, she gives them very important names. They're important to her. And they signify something that God is doing in her life. Now, I want you to stop and think with me for a moment. Let's read these uh, two verses, and then we're going to read the last one we read. Look at verses 31 and 32. The Bible says, When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb. But Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bare a son, and she called his name Reuben, for she said, Surely the Lord hath looked upon my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. Now look down at verse 35. By the time she's done having children at this stage in her life, the Bible says she conceived again and bare a son, and she said, Now will I praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah, and left bearing. Some of you women can testify that having kids changes you. Amen? Ain't nothing like it was before that happened. 
And uh, things have changed in her life. But spiritually speaking, there has been some kind of transition that has taken place. She began as a suffering individual back in verse 32. She says, I am in affliction and the Lord has looked on my affliction. But by the time you get down to verse 35, she just, uh, listen, she ain't wanting anything from God. She's not looking for anything from God. There ain't no stipulations or expectations. She has this little child, Judah, and she says, now will I praise the Lord. She is satisfied with the Lord. Can I say to you this morning, and I want to preach on this thought, Leah went from suffering to satisfied. So many of us in our life, and let me say this, if we're saved by the grace of God, we have everything we need to be satisfied in life. The key is looking to what satisfies. And I'll tell you this this morning, that if you're not satisfied in Jesus Christ, you'll not find satisfaction anywhere else. There is a world that is rocking and reeling and raging and burning and people are looking for meaning and purpose every which way and they cannot find it. The truth is this, the only place to find true contentment and happiness and joy and satisfaction is by making Jesus Christ your Savior and Lord and your all in all. I believe this is the lesson that Leah learned. When she begins, she is unwanted She is unloved. She is unfruitful. She feels as though she has nothing to contribute whatsoever. Her husband hates her. She uh, has not had any children yet. She's not wanted in the home. She's not loved in any deep and meaningful way. She goes from that situation to being happy in the Lord. Now, let me say this to you. You go all through this chapter, and you know what you'll find? Jacob never did fall in love with her. You go down a couple chapters later and she has to hire out and pay money to Rachel just to guarantee that her husband will spend the evening with her. Nothing changed in her outward circumstances. What changed? Something changed on the inside. Listen, if you're waiting for your outward circumstances to change before you're going to be satisfied with the Lord, then you may never get satisfied. But when you'll instead look to the Lord as your portion and as your shield, you'll find in Him everything you need to be satisfied. I want to say a few things about her predicament and her suffering. Let me say, number one, that her suffering was deep. She was literally hated by her husband. Now, some people, and I've read a lot of commentators on this, they've tried to brush over this. They've tried to say, well, you know, Jacob didn't really hate her. It's just a a semantic distinction. It's just saying he loved Rachel more than he loved Leah. Well, you know, uh, the Bible says later on that he did love Rachel more than he loved Leah. But it doesn't just say he loved Rachel more than he loved Leah. It also says he hated Leah. (laughs) You say, preacher, if he loved Rachel more than he loved Leah, then he must have loved Leah somewhat. Oh, he did, but he also hated her. You say, preacher, how is that? No doubt there was a deep-seated resentment in his heart. Hey, listen, don't forget, uh, she wouldn't have been in that tent on that wedding night unless she was party to the deception as well. She could have looked at her daddy and said, Daddy, you're crazy. We can't do him this way. We can't treat him this way. I'm not going to trap myself in this situation. I'm not going to put him through this. But she was party to it just the same, and Jacob carried a hatred of her because of it. You can imagine what it would be like, and sadly, uh, there may even be people in this room that know exactly what it's like to be in such a situation, to feel as though there's a bitterness and a hatred and a resentment and there's a friction and a noise with every interaction. Her suffering was deep. She called it affliction. 
When we think of the term affliction, it deals with the idea of a disease, of being persecuted, of being uh, railed upon. Her suffering was was deep. Let me say number two, her suffering was distinct. Notice what it says in verse number 31. The Bible says, When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. So, preacher, what are you saying by that? I'm saying this, that everybody's suffering is different. She was going through something that Rachel could have never understood, but it was just as painful as what Rachel was going through. Rachel was barren. To be barren at this time in biblical history had a lot of implications. In fact, it was not uncommon for wives to be put away because of their barrenness. Having a son, having an heir was everything. And no doubt people had a lot of pity on Rachel. No doubt people looked at the fact that Rachel, being the younger one, being the loved one, they knew that she would have shared in more intimacy than Leah would. And no doubt they looked at Rachel and pitied her and thought, oh, what a sorry condition she's in. Oh, maybe God will bless her. But Leah was suffering with something that was burdening on the inside. I'm saying this, not everybody's suffering looks the same. Listen, there's people in this room that you look at and you think they got it all together, but inside they're hurting. There might be other people in this room that you look at it, and if your life was the way their life was, you'd be a basket case. But they found peace and happiness in the Lord. Everybody's suffering looks different. Don't always judge the suffering by what's external, because there is an inside suffering. And then I want to say this before we get to preaching. Her suffering was detected. Preacher, what do you mean by that? Well, the first thing that the Bible says about this is that the Lord saw that Leah was hated. Hey, listen, nobody may understand what you're going through, but God does. Nobody. Hey, you know one of the things we do, and there's this, there's this, this psychological and emotional wall we build up when we're going through a rough time. And that wall is built of bricks, and each one of them says this on it. Nobody knows what I'm going through. And we say, nobody's been through what I've been through. Nobody knows what it's like. Nobody's hurt like I have hurt. Well, i got news for you. Number one, that's probably not true. I, I would venture to say there probably ain't anybody in this room going through something that there ain't never been anybody walking God's green earth that's been through something similar. And I would go this far. Hey, listen, I, I may not know people as well as they know themselves. I may not know people as well as they can be known, but I generally know people in this room better than most people do. You'd be surprised what people are going through. Maybe people you'd look at and say, they don't know what I'm going through. But let us never forget that God in heaven does know what we're going through does know what we're going through. So we find this progression that takes place. Each of these names are significant. The name Reuben means behold, a son. The name Simeon means hearing or heard. The name Levi means joined to. And the name Judah simply means praise. Each one of these brings different things into her life, and each one of them expresses different things about what she's going through. Now, I have three simple thoughts I want to give to you. Let me say that each child, except for Jake or except for Judah, brought a disappointment to her life. Now, we don't think of children as being a disappointment. Well, my parents do. Your parents probably don't. We don't think of children as being a disappointment. And I don't think she was disappointed in the children. But each child brought an instance of disappointment in her life. Let me say also that each child brought a disclosure about who God is. You know, every time there's a disappointment, we learn something about ourselves and learn something about God. Every time there's a trial we go through, we can observe and learn something greater about who God is. And you know what we'll find before we're done this morning? Each child brought a drawing in her life. 
brought her closer to God. You know, your trials don't have to chase you away from God. They can draw you closer. Your sufferings don't have to be a stumbling block. They can be a stepping stone. Whatever you're going through today does not have to get you out. It can get you closer in if you'll let it do so. What about these disappointments? Let me say that I believe the first disappointment she experiences comes after the birth of Reuben. Now, why is that? She knows that she's unloved, unwanted, she is unfruitful, she can produce and provide nothing. But never forget that in the patriarch's mind, you say, who do you mean? I mean Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and their families. In their minds, they were constantly reminded that God was sending a Messiah, a promised son, through their family. And every single one of them, if you look at them, thought that their child was the one. Isn't that just like parents? Amen. Hey, listen, i got news for you. Your kid ain't going to play in the major leagues. Amen? Uh, they're, they're not going to be in the NFL. I know you think they will, but they won't. I, I mean, the chances of that are, are astronomical. But we all think our kid has what it takes. In fact, uh, we find that all the way back to Adam and Eve, uh, whenever uh, Eve uh, gives birth to Cain, you know what she says? She says, I've gotten a man from the Lord. She thought Cain was that promised seed. And the same thing is true of Leah. Whenever she has Reuben, you know what she says? She says, Behold, a son. And she thought within this that somehow this would garner the love of her husband Jacob. She thought, Surely I've given him an heir. I've given her him a son. I've given him all of the promises of God are wrapped up in this child. Surely he will love me. But you know what she learned? The first thing she learned is that her dreams were untrue. What she thought God was going to do And what God really did do were two different things. You know, a lot of times when we're suffering, the thing that we struggle the most with is we think we know what God's next step is. It's funny how she oversimplified it. Look at what it says in verse number 32. Leah conceived and bare a son, and she called his name Reuben, for she said, Surely the Lord hath looked upon my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. In other words, it was an A to B thing to her. She was saying, The Lord looked upon me. Now Jacob is going to love me. But it wasn't that simple. You know, the truth is, often what God is doing in our life, it's no more complicated than it has to be, but it's often more complicated than we think it is. Her dreams were all wrapped up in that child. But you know what she finds? As time goes on, when she names Simeon, you know what she says? She says, the Lord hath heard that I was hated. In other words, she had Reuben and thought, this will be the child that gives me the love of my husband. But it didn't turn out that way. By the time she has the next child, she says, I was still hated. You know, the thing that we think will fix it most of the time won't. And sometimes what it needs is not fixing. It just needs us surrendering. Sometimes we have this picture in our head of how we want everything to be and how we'd straighten it out. And if the whole world would just do what we think ought to be done, everything would be fine. And you know, occasionally God gives us our way a little bit just to show us that we don't know as much as we think we know. If I could just have a son, my husband will love me. Well, she had a son, and it was the firstborn that should have in a traditional situation garnered some affection for But it didn't because life oftentimes doesn't work out the way we think. Then I want you to notice what it says in verse number 33. The Bible says, And she conceived again and bare a son, and said, Because the Lord hath heard that I was hated, he hath therefore given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon, meaning heard. You know what she's saying here, I believe? And I might be wrong, but I believe I'm correct about this. 
You notice she didn't mention Jacob there. You know what she did that I think a lot of people do? They try to settle. I think what she was saying was this. The Lord knew that Jacob hates me, that Jacob does not love me, so he gave me this little child, and the love of this child will satisfy me. I don't need Jacob any longer. I have this little baby, and this little baby will be the apple of my eye, and it will tug at my heartstrings, and it will give me all the happiness and satisfaction that I need. But is that how it worked out? You go down to the next verse, and when she has Levi, you know what she says? Now will my husband be joined to me. You know, oftentimes we think we can just will away our suffering. If we just make up our mind enough to not let it affect us, somehow it'll just all go away. And I think this is what she was doing. But you know what she learned when Simeon was born? And afterwards, she learned that her desires were unfulfilled. What she really wanted, what she really desired, she thought she could make a substitute for but she still had an emptiness inside. This is part of the reason. Let me just say this. I'm not against New Year's resolutions, but a lot of New Year's resolution is nothing other than trying to avoid getting our hearts settled on God. I'm not saying it's wrong. Hey, you want to lose 40 pounds? Amen. I mean, you want to quit drinking caffeine? God bless you. But there is a, there is a spirit of reformation in culture today where if we can just try hard enough, if we can just work hard enough, if we can just change enough about us, then we'll find satisfaction, we'll find happiness. I've got news for you. There's a hole in your heart and in your life that only God can fill. It doesn't matter how much you clean up and straighten up and change and how many leaves you turn over. You're only going to be satisfied when you're in harmony and fellowship with God. She thought, I can just find satisfaction in this child. I'll be okay. How many times have you told yourself that? But she learns that her desires went unfulfilled. And then she has another child by the name of Levi. Look what it says in verse number 34. The Bible says, And she conceived again and bare a son, and said, Now this time. Don't that sound familiar? Now this time will my husband be joined unto me. Because I have borne him three sons, therefore was his name called Levi. You know what she was saying? She said, I've got it figured out now. If I have this child, he'll have to love me. You know, the Bible says a three-cold Ford is hard to be broken. And she thought, with all these children, and there's Rachel sitting over there with no children. She's barren. She can't give him a son or an heir. I'm the only hope he's got. This will get him for sure. But you know what she learned? She learned that her designs were unsuccessful. Because when you come down later in the life of Leah, she's still not loved. She's still hated. She's still not desired by her husband. And you know, sometimes we think we can just figure it out if we think hard enough. How many times have you made a mess trying to fix something that you should have just left to God in the first place? The biggest messes in my life I've made by trying to fix things that were in God's jurisdiction. And she thinks, if I can just come up with the right plan, I'm the type of person, I'll admit to you, I, I'm, not a very, I'm not a very organized individual, but I am the type of person that is tempted to think, if I think hard enough, if I just study on it enough, I can figure out a way to fix it. I'm the type of person, I can fix anything in my house if I've got instructions, if I've got videos to watch, and I might just try to. I'm probably going to burn the thing down one of these days, amen? But <coughs> there's very little I won't try Because, you know, one of the things that I was taught growing up is if you'll slow down, if you'll take your time, if you'll study on it, if you'll try to figure it out, most of the time you can. i got news for you. In the spiritual realm, that ain't how things work. It don't matter all the studying and planning and organizing we do. 
unless God is in it, it's not going to come to any fruition. We see that each child, other than Judah, brought a disappointment. But then we learn that each child also brought to her a disclosure. In other words, every time a child was born, by what she names them, we can learn that she learned something about God. So what do you mean, preacher? Well, I believe when Reuben was born, she learned about the pity of God. She says, when Reuben is born, the Lord hath looked upon my affliction. Now, that may not mean much to you, but remember, this is a woman that sat alone in her tent uh, for uh, who knows how many days or weeks or months or years lamenting the fact that nobody loves her, that nobody cares about her. And in the midst of all of that, you know what she learns? That if Jacob's not interested in her, if Laban don't care about her, if nobody in the world does, God in heaven is watching her and paying attention to her. You know, one thing we can learn when disappointments come in our life, we can learn this, that God loves us enough to deal with us. God loves us enough to deal with us. Hey, when chastening comes into your life, it's easy to despise the chastening of the Lord and to say, why is God treating me this way? But instead, we ought to recognize that every son whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and he scourgeth everyone that is his. And recognize, hey, God may be chastening me, But if he's chasing me, he's at least owning me and acknowledging that he loves me and cares about me. She learns about the pity of God. And then notice what it says in verse number 33. When Simeon is born, the Bible says that she names him Simeon. Why? Because the Lord hath heard that I was hated. He hath therefore given me this son also. Now, we're going to say a word about what changed in how she dealt with God here in a moment. I don't want to preach my sermon before I get there. But let me just say this. She had evidently been praying for Simeon. And you know what she learned? That God hears and answers the prayers of his people. You know, oftentimes when God drives us to our knees in prayer, the thing that God is trying to teach us is this, that prayer works. When we refuse to pray, we miss out on what God's trying to teach us. The first and fundamental and primary lesson of prayer always taught in the Bible is this, that it works. That God listens, that God answers. I preached a little bit on prayer on Friday in the seniors meeting, and I told them, and I'll tell you this morning, uh, that prayer is a mysterious thing to me. Uh, prayer is not something you learn by studying. Prayer is something you learn by doing. Amen? Uh, prayer is an act of faith. And if we'll exercise faith in God and pray, we'll begin to learn some things about prayer. But prayer is a mysterious thing. There's a lot I don't understand about prayer. I don't understand how we can pray to an omnipotent, omniscient, unchangeable, immutable God and get things changed and done. I don't understand how we can pull heaven down to earth and change things around us. But one thing I understand is this, that men ought always to pray and never to stop. That we ought to pray without ceasing and that the effect fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I do know this. Prayer works. And one of the things she learned in the midst of her suffering was that God was listening to her. And in the midst of your suffering, you know what you'll find? If you'll just cry out to God, you say, Preacher, I don't know what to ask for. That's all right. Just talk to Him. Preacher, I don't know even how to approach Him. That's all right. Approach Him the best you know how, and the Spirit itself helpeth our infirmities when we know not what we ought to pray. Just pray. Talk to God. Seek His face. And you'll find that there's a God in heaven listening. She learned something about the perceptiveness of God. Then she has Levi. His name means joined to. And she thought that the joining that was going to take place was going to be her to Jacob. 
But instead, after Levi is born, you know what we find? The joining that takes place is between her and God. This is a foreshadowing, by the way, of Levi's function. You know that it was Levi from whom the Levites came. And you know that the Levites were the priests in the Old Testament. In fact, uh, Levi, uh, through his birth, would join uh, his mama uh, Leah unto God. But generations of Levites after him uh, would go into the tabernacle and go into the temple and make intercession and uh, facilitate mankind meeting with God. And you know what we find that she learned when Levi was born? She learned something about the proximity of God. That God desires to be close to man. That God desires to be involved in humanity and in mankind. You know what you'll find in the midst of your suffering? If you'll pray and if you'll seek God, you'll find out that your suffering hasn't come because God's absent from your life. Your suffering has probably come because God's present working in your life. Now, that doesn't mean you're close to Him and in fellowship with Him like you ought to be, but it does mean this, that God doesn't whip the devil's children. If He's taking you to the woodshed, it's because He loves you and He's interested in you and He's trying to draw you close unto Him. She learned something about the proximity of God. And then Judah is born. And it's funny, I don't know how much Leah understood. But I know this, that when we look at the life of Judah, whether she realized it or not, we all learn something about the plan of God. You know why? Because Judah was the one from whom the Messiah would come. When Reuben was born, and every patriarch made this mistake, they all thought it'd be the firstborn. Uh, but God had already said when Jacob and Esau uh, were born, or before they were born, He had already said to Rebekah that the elder shall serve the younger. But they seemed to struggle with that. Every time there was a firstborn, they always thought, this is the one. But it was Judah from whom the tribe of Judah would come, and uh, which is the namesake when the Bible calls the Lord Jesus Christ the Lion of the tribe of Judah. You know what we find is this. When she was looking at herself, she found only sorrow. But when she looked to God, she found the promised Son. You know what you'll find is this. As long as you're focused on trying to scoop yourself up and keep yourself from being a mess and trying to put on airs and put on a face and pretend you're something you're not, you're only going to find sorrow. But if you'll acknowledge your helplessness and worthlessness, if you'll say, Lord, I can't change this, I can't fix this, but God, I'm going to ask you to intervene. And Lord, if it's not your will to intervene, then just give me the grace to bear what I'm going through. You'll find the answer. In the word of praise. Of course, Judah would be emblematic of the coming Messiah. And in a word of praise, she finds the answer to everything she's looking for. Let me give you one final thought and I'll be done this morning. Each child brought a disappointment. Each child brought a disclosure. But finally, we notice that each child brought a drawing in her life. In other words, every time a child was born, she responded in a way that was indicative of her spiritual growth. You know, you probably don't realize how much God's growing you through what you're going through. If you're surrendered unto Him, and if you're following Him, you're probably unaware of how much growing you're doing. You know, we find this example in, uh, in nature. I've told you this before, that the well, first time me and my wife put out a little garden, we go out every day and check on it. And let me tell you something. That is, uh, you talk about nerve-wracking, because you go out every day, you don't ever see it grow. 
It's not until you stay away for a little while and come back that you see it growing. You know why that is? Because it grows a little bit at a time. You know, you look at your life and say, Preacher, I'm spinning my wheels. I'm hurting. I got heartache and I'm going through things and nothing's changing. But if you could see things the way God sees things, you might find out you're growing more than you think you are. She was growing. And what do we learn? Well, with each one, she learned to do or to find something different. When Reuben was born, you know what she learned? She learned to pray. So, preacher, how do you know that? Well, because when Simeon, the next one, is born, she says, The Lord hath heard that I was hated. The first time she says, the Lord hath looked upon my affliction. Now, you can look on something without whatever that object is being involved. But if you hear something, somebody's got to be talking. Evidently, you know what I think happened? I think Reuben, when he was born, gave her the resolve to pray. She realized that God was interested in her, that God loved her. And once she realized that, she said, well, if God's interested in me, then maybe I ought to pray and see if he'll answer my prayer." You know, one of the first things suffering does or should do is call us into the prayer closet. Call us into the prayer closet. Hey, listen, God's up to something. And if He's up to something, I I may not know everything about it, but I at least want to be in league with it. I may not understand everything about it, but I at least want to be in cooperation with it. And so she learned how to pray. Let me say, number two, not only did she learn to pray, but I guess we find out that she learned to pursue. Preacher, why do you believe that? Well, after Simeon is born, she learns that God answers prayer. And when you get to Levi, she says, Now this time will I be joined unto my husband. What did she learn in between the two things? She learned this, that God always answers prayer. But we sometimes have to study on Him and pursue after Him to find the answer that He has for us. What she was saying, I think, when Levi was born, whenever Simeon's born, she's given up. But by the time Levi's born, she ain't given up anymore. Whenever Simeon is born, she believes that God hears and answers prayer. But by the time Levi is born, you know what she's found? She's found that she wasn't satisfied with Simeon. And she's got to find peace and help somewhere else. You know, one of the things that disappointments teach us is just how many places and avenues do not satisfy It was said that Thomas Edison tried, I can't remember, you know, these things change every time a preacher tells it, amen, but it's like a fishing story, but like a thousand times or ten thousand times, we tried a whole bunch of times to invent the incandescent light bulb. And I know you've heard this, you've read it on milk cartons and cereal boxes, but he made this statement when asked about all those times that he failed. He said, I didn't fail. He said, every time I learned another way to not invent a light bulb. I'm not saying we ought to try every avenue. Hey, listen, the best thing for the prodigal son would have been if he stayed at home. But I am saying this, that every time that we have a disappointment in life, it teaches us just where happiness can't be found. Some of y'all have learned that lesson the hard way. Hey, some of y'all, you can testify firsthand that drugs can't make you happy. Testify firsthand that liquor can't make you happy. Testify firsthand that promiscuity and illicit relationships can't make you happy. Now listen, those of you that haven't gone down that path, you know what you ought to do? You ought to take the experience of others as an example and recognize that only in Christ can satisfaction be found. And every time there's a disappointment, that ought to place our trail back onto the Lord. Verse 34, when Levi was born, you know what I think she found? I think she found the recipe for peace. 
When Simeon is born, she finds a reason to pursue God because she's not satisfied anymore. But when Levi is born, she finds by what God showed her through her misunderstanding was the recipe for true peace. Now you might say, preacher, why do you believe she found peace? Well, because of what she named Judah. By the time you get to Judah being born, she's praising God. Something must have changed. And you know what I think she learned? I think she learned this. She thought through Levi she'd be joined in love and matrimony and happiness with her husband. And it didn't happen. And I think when that happened, she finally communed with the Lord. She finally sought happiness in God. Levi gave her that recipe. She thought she was going to be joined unto an earthly husband. But instead, she was joined to a heavenly father. She thought she was going to be joined unto someone that she could see and touch and feel and speak to and listen to to find happiness. But in all that, what she found out was this. Nobody can satisfy but God. And you know what she learned with Judah? And I'm done. Judah gave her the realization of praise in her life. When she quit looking to any and everything to make herself happy and instead went to the Lord, she found satisfaction. No strings attached to His name. No expectations hanging around His name. No, I'll praise God if Jacob finally loves me, or I'll praise God if God does away with Rachel. No, she just says, I'm just satisfied with Him. Now will I praise the Lord. You know, you'll find this. By the way, her her situation never changed. But we don't find any situations after this. She still pursues after Jacob's love. But the next time that she has children, and she does have more children, what she names them don't have anything to do with Jacob. What she names them has to do with them and with the promises of God. She names them Issachar, which means joy and happiness. And then she names, I believe, Zebulun was the other son that she had. She names them stuff that just has to do with what God's doing in her life. She quit looking for satisfaction anywhere but the Lord. Now listen, I want to say this before I close. I'm not recommending you go out and blow up any friendships or relationships. I'm not recommending you go out and quit your job. Amen. What I'm saying is this. Quit expecting happiness from people and things. Because satisfaction only comes from the Lord. I'm not saying you ought to torch everything in your life. What I'm saying is this. If you're not satisfied, you ought to come to Him and say, Lord, is there anything in my life separating our communion? Lord, is there anything in my life that you're trying to get my attention about? Lord, is there anything in my life where I'm not serving you? And whatever it is, give your heart over to the Lord. And if you're here today without Christ, let me say this. You're never going to be happy without Him. I don't know how many more days and months and weeks and years and maybe even decades you have ahead of you. But I know this, the sooner you trust Christ as your Savior, the sooner your life has meaning and the sooner it has purpose. You keep putting Christ off and pushing Him away and coming up with excuses and you're just going to live in misery. Come to Him and let Him satisfy because He's the only one that can satisfy.